How about John, seventh chapter this morning with me? Seven, one through thirty-one. When you're there, raise your hand. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Then Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. You go up to this feast. I'm not yet going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. When he said these things, he remained in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? And there was much complaining among the people concerning him. Some said, He's good. Others said, No, on the contrary, he deceives the people. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. Now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters having never studied? Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true. And no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek then to kill me? The people answered and said, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work, and you all marvel. Moses therefore gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Now some of them from Jerusalem said, Is this not he whom they seek to kill? But look, he speaks boldly, and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? However, we know where this man is from. But when the Christ comes, no one knows where he is from. Then Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple, saying, You both know me, and you know where I am from. And I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. But I know him, 
for I am from him and he sent me. Therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. And many other people believed in him and said, when the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these which this man has done? fruitful soil in our hearts to take root. God, I pray that you would be glorified and magnified in this place, Lord. I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. It is our desire, Lord Jesus, to exalt you, to lift you up, that you might draw men to yourself. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified in this place. Pray, Lord, that you would be magnified here. God, we lift it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. For a quick minute, uh, I know this will be a little weird for you. If you are, what's the matter? That'll make a big difference. Apparently, on-off matters. (laughs) So listen, if you are a man and you are here, would you please stand up? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just going to ask you to stand up. That's the extent of your embarrassment. Um, If you're watching at home, I hope uh, from your lazy boy, you will stand up as well. This, uh, This last weekend, I was really seeking the Lord and praying for uh, God to do mighty things in our body. And uh, so as I was crying out to him, um, and I had a brother who called me and was sharing his heart with me, uh, just felt very clearly the Lord say that you have to go after the men. So I just want all of you guys to know that we are going to be doing something called Forged by the Fire on Thursday night at 6.30 at my house. And I'd like to personally invite you all to come and be a part of that. Uh, I feel like that's something that God is looking to move uh, in and through men to accomplish some of the things we see lacking in the body. So I just encourage you guys to come if you're able and be a part of that. And then, God bless you, you can sit down. <laughs> um, one other thing, um, Jim Elliott has been the smiling face at the front doors for ever, long time. Uh, he has gone home with the Lord. It was sudden and unexpected. So if you would think about it, if you would remember to pray for Jim's family, uh, it was quite the shock for them. So uh, um, if, you, if you think about it, just lift them up. I, I, we have no idea yet uh, for a service or anything like that, but just, just wanted to let you know. Keep Jim's family in prayer and also um, I would encourage you to be praying 
in these upcoming days for our president and all who are in leadership, uh, particularly our president since he has COVID. And uh, we also want to remember our own who have COVID as well, right? That we keep them in prayer. Levi uh, tested positive for COVID. He is recovering, should be cleared this next week. So we look forward to having him back uh, among us. So I have somebody to yell at to do things. Now I just have to go do them myself. So so I, I, I especially miss him. So uh, again, if you have your Bibles open to John chapter 7, we're starting something called the fifth discourse. Remember I told you the gospel of John is built up around seven discourses, miracles, and I am statements. And so we want to point those out as we work our way through. And really, as we look at this section, the whole chapter, all the way to verse 52, you know that we're not getting past 31 if we get that far today. So as we look at it, setting the groundwork for the fifth discourse, which Jesus will be talking about the Holy Spirit, the life-giving Spirit. We're going to talk about that. Now, the groundwork that's being laid out centers around three things that we just read. Disbelief, debate, and division. And we're going to see from chapter 7 all the way through until we get to chapter 11 in John, the movement of of the the response of the people growing in hostility. Uh, Certainly the leadership, but we're going to see more and more hostility toward Christ as we move through. Now, one of the things I just want to touch base on quickly, we're looking at the Feast of the Tabernacles. Three feasts that the Jewish uh, males were required to pilgrim, uh, make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem on. The Feast of uh, Tabernacles is one of those. The other two is Passover and Pentecost. So Passover, they were required to go Pentecost they were required to go in the Feast of Tabernacles. One of the interesting things on the Feast of Tabernacles, we are nearing it right now. I think we still have a few more days. Um, But we had the Day of Atonement uh, last week. And immediately following the the Day of Atonement in the Jewish feast came the, the Feast of Tabernacles, where the Jewish people would go out basically in their outside of their homes and they would camp they would set up booths in those booths they were required to leave uh the the top open uh so that they could see the stars they had to be able to see the stars while they slept and as they would gather as a family out in those booths their children would say hey what are we doing out here and it was an opportunity for the fathers to share with their children the, the story of the exodus, the story of the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness, the story of God's provision for them. They were able in that time to share the, the beauty. There's this beautiful idea of that we see fulfilled in Christ, right? In John chapter 1, verse 14, in the first Uh, In the prologue of John, we see, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Verse 14, we read, and the Word did what? Became flesh. And I love how the King James puts it. The Word became flesh and tabernacled with us. See, Jesus Christ left heaven 
to dwell in a booth, a tent, and to come to his own. And so during this time, Feast of the Tabernacles is going on. People are gathering in Jerusalem, but remember, there is some hostility growing. It says in verse 1, And after this, Jesus went about in Galilee, would not go to Judea, because the Jews were seeking to kill him. And what talks about the Jews, it's talking about the religious leadership. So the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. This is what we were talking about. And so his brother said to him in verse 3, Why don't you leave here? Go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed him. So his brothers, his half-brothers, his family, that grew up with him, they come to him and they say, hey, you should be doing all the things you're doing here in the Galilee. You should be doing them in Jerusalem during the feast so that everyone can see. If you are the Christ, you should be out there where everyone can see you, where everyone can recognize the works you're doing. But the word declares why they said it. Because they did not believe. I don't know what it was like growing up with Jesus. Maybe there was animosity between his brothers and sisters, the other parts of his family, but the scriptures, the gospels tell us At this time, they did not believe. They will later. But at this time, they do not believe. They they do not believe. So Jesus said to them in verse 6, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. That time when men and women can respond to the gospel. Your time is here. Mine is not yet come. Remember when Mary came to Jesus? We saw it in John chapter 2. And she said she was asking for his help. They ran out of wine. You remember? You remember what Jesus told his mother? It's not my time. It's not my time. We are in the church so certain at times that we know exactly when, how, and why something ought to be done, that we can sound just like Jesus' brothers and, and sisters coming to him and saying, you need to do it like this. You need, it's got to go this way. It's got to happen like this. But all those people were wrong. The way we need to be led in the body of Christ is through the Spirit of Christ. We want to be led by his Holy Spirit, and we want to have that confirmed in his word, holding fast to what the word of God is laying out for us, and then just suit up and show up and let God do what he wants to do. Jesus said to them, it's not my time. It's not time yet. Now, that didn't mean he wasn't going. He was going, but he wasn't going to put on a show. He wasn't putting up a billboard. He wasn't wasn't, uh, going out and announcing it. Look, all he did, we're going to see, midway through the feast, is he came to the middle of the temple, admittedly, where the people were gathered, right? He went to where the people were, and he began to teach. He didn't start the fanfare with a big miracle, 
He didn't start it with a, with a healing. He went out and shared the truth of God's word. As we look at the beginning of this discourse, we recognize that the family of Jesus were struggling in unbelief. They didn't believe. Mark, or I'm sorry, in Psalm 69.8, the psalmist writes this, I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's son. You ever seen when you begin to really pursue the Lord, how that can in some way estrange you from family? You ever noticed how the hardest ones to share your faith with happen to be the ones maybe that you grew up in or that are a part of your family? Scripture declares this to be true. Mark 3, 20, it says, Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat, and his family heard it, and they went out to seize him. And they were saying, You are out of your mind. What are you doing? You're our old brother. You're our older brother. Stop telling people you're the Messiah. They were struggling he said to them, you go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. And so saying this, he remained in Galilee, and his family goes on without him. Now, when this family gets there, in verse 10, it says, after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. And the Jews were looking for him at the feast, saying, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? Right? Because amongst the people, not only was there disbelief, but there was debate. They're debating. Look what it says in the scripture. And there was much muttering about him among the people, while some said, he's a good man. And others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Verse 13, yet for fear of the Jews, no one said anything openly. So the people could see, they could feel the tension, right, between Jesus and the religious leadership. And that we're going to see that tension throughout this text. This tension that has developed because, as we look, because there is this debate and there is this disbelief. Look, the beautiful thing about Christ is he doesn't give you the opportunity to, you're either for him, what did he say? You, you, the, the worst thing you can say is, yeah, he's a good, he was a good guy. Well, who's the last good guy who told you he was God? Who declared that he was the one who could tell you the meaning of the law? Who would say that he was the Lord of the Sabbath, the one who could say what the Sabbath was all about? We'll see that discussion as we continue. Jesus Christ is either who he said he was or he's not. So the people were debating, but they're afraid to talk in the open because already that tension is there, right? Rising up around him. Who is Jesus? The most important question you're ever going to answer. Who is he? He is my great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He needs to be yours. For there is no other name under heaven by which men must 
be saved. That is a very important question. Who is Jesus? It says, in about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. So he goes into the middle of the temple. Now, in the middle of the temple, he had two porticos, two porches. And so that people would gather there. So what is it that they did? You're going to see the same thing in the book of Acts, right? In the early days of the church. Where did the church go? They went to, to the temple, to the porches, to the porticos, where the people were. And they would pull up, the guys would walk up, and they would begin teaching. It, it causes my heart to rejoice when I see, every once in a while I get to see uh, brothers in the Lord who uh, go to where the people are. And they just preach. Now occasionally while they're preaching, the crowds get upset. And I've watched these same brothers, while the crowds are upset, say, look, I'm not trying to make you mad. If you don't want to hear me, it's, it's good. It's, it's all good. I just want to preach to those who want to hear. If you want to hear, stay. If you don't, if you walk 10 feet away, you can't, you're not going to be able to hear me anymore. But that's not what the world does. The world shows up with with radios and loudspeakers and does everything it can to drown out the voice. Jesus said, the world hates me. That's how the world responds. When the truth of the word of God is being shared, Jesus Christ in the middle of the feast went up to the temple and began teaching. And the Jews marveled, saying, how is this, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? At this time in Jerusalem, there were probably in a neighborhood of 30 yeshivas, 30 schools uh, that you would come up under a rabbi. We, look, we do it the same way today. If you sit down and you're having a debate with somebody, somewhere along your debate, you're going to say, well, so-and-so says this means that. And such and such says that means this. We still discuss this way because ultimately, you know, as far as I know, none of us in this room have complete knowledge. So usually we use the tools God has provided us, right, in study and, and chasing down our answers in the word. So we use the tools that God has given us. They did the same thing then. So they would be talking and they would say, well, Rabbi such and such says this. And Rabbi so-and-such says that. But Jesus didn't do that. He spoke with authority. And they were amazed. They said, how is it that he can speak with this authority since we, none of us have given us the stamp? We have that same stamp today. Do you know when you get to quote yourself? When you get your master's degree. In your master's degree, once you've gotten your master's degree, you can now quote yourself. That was one, my one goal for pursuing my MDiv, which I have not accomplished. But my one goal for pursuing that was so that I could one day just say in an argument because I said so. <laughs> I want to be able to quote myself. So they're saying, well, look, how is it that Jesus 
has this authority. In other gospels, they ask him the same question. How is it that you teach with authority? And I just want you to think about this because here you have before the people standing at the temple area, the word of God expounding on the word of God. Can you imagine a more authoritative person to tell us what scripture, I never argue with Jesus. Jesus says it, I just go, yeah, amen. He's the word. And the word became flesh and he came to the temple and he taught the people. And they were blown away by how he taught it with the authority, the authority with which he gave it. Beautiful. They marveled at his teaching. They were blown away. You remember the very first time that happened? When he was 12? Yeah, 12 years old. He's taken to the temple. Remember his mom and dad left and figured out somewhere down. You ever done that? <laughs> left one of your kids behind? Yeah, me and Kathy left Joe once. <laughs> Here. We, we went, uh, if you don't know Joe, Joe's my autistic son. He's 23. Um, he does not like being left. He tends to be somewhere quiet, so it's not impossible that it would happen. So he was back in one of the rooms on a computer, and I thought Kathy took him, and Kathy thought I took him. And a bunch of people come over to the house, and we're sitting around the house, and we're talking, and we're doing all this stuff. And I begin to realize it's been a while since I've seen Joe pacing. So I say to Kathy, you brought Joe home, right? And all she did is go, she's already fairly white, but she's pale. <laughs> and I can't remember who was at the house. <clears throat> I think Shannon was there or something. And she, Kathy turned around and she jumped up and grabbed the keys. And she found Joe. We left him here, but he wasn't here no more. At the railroad tracks uh, on the way home to our house, uh, he was very unhappy. How's that? <laughs> he was very unhappy. But that's not how Mary and Joseph Mary and Joseph did the same thing, right? Jesus with you. No, I thought he was with you. Uh, he's not here. They went back. Where did they find him in the temple? What was he doing? Blowing away the priests, right? Blowing them away by what he understood of Scripture. Why? Because he's the Word of God. He was the Word of God. And so you see him there. He's teaching. How is it that he can speak with such authority? This debate and unbelief is surrounding the ministry of Christ at the time of, of this discourse. People trying to, to, to wrestle with, who is he? Who is Jesus? So in verse 16, Jesus responds. We see this often. It's not always because the people ask a question, though sometimes it is. Jesus responds and he answers them. My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. Now he's already told them who sent him. We're in chapter seven. Chapter five, he's told them. In chapter six, he told them. He's going to tell them again in chapter seven. He's going to tell them again in chapter eight. This is a pretty common thread. He said, this is not my teaching. It's not my doctrine the authority by, I am sharing to you all the things the Father has given me to share. I'm giving you the word 
of God. I love the Old Testament prophets because oftentimes you'll see the, the Old Testament prophets and we always make assumptions. And the Old Testament prophets, it'll say something like Ezekiel. And the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. And we sometimes picture in our mind that that means he got this idea in his head and he began to speak. But there are a couple of places in Ezekiel where it says, the word of the Lord came to me and he touched me. That's a different way to think about the word of the Lord. You see, all throughout the ministry of the Son, all throughout the Son, through the Old Testament, the, the pre-incarnate Christ, the appearance of the Lord before the people, Jesus was giving them the word. This is what the Father has said. He is the word of God. I am sharing that which the Father has given me, the one who has sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. Already earlier, we talked about in John chapter 5 and John chapter 6, I encourage you if, you, if you want to just review those things, they're online, you can pick them up. But in John chapter 6, verse 45, Jesus said, It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. John six thirty seven says, No one comes to me except the Father draws him. The Father draws him. Verse 45 discusses with us how that occurs. All that will, all, uh, will be taught by God and everyone who has heard and learned from the Father. In uh, John 5, Jesus talking about this same thing. Says, how can you believe, <coughs> excuse me, when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes only from God. This is one of the things he's discussing here. Listen to what he says. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know. In verse 18, the one who speaks on his own authority does what? Seeks his own glory. This is exactly the question that they brought to Jesus, right? Where's his letters? Where's, where's the certificate that says we should listen to him? Which rabbi tells us that he's, you know, he's authorized by so-and-so and such-and-such to, uh, to be out here? By what authority is he teaching? And Jesus says, look, if you're looking for the glory of men, this is the attitude of those who seek the glory of men. How can you believe he was telling, talking about their unbelief in John 5, Why do they have unbelief? Why are they struggling with understanding who he is? Because they want their own glory. People wrestle with this all the time. I think everybody who's ever taught the word of God wrestles with wanting their own glory. Most people like to hear approval, right? Most people like, like the accolades of of the the people that they minister to want to be uh, approved of by their fellow man 
It's interesting because the scripture says that if you are looking for the approval of man, how can you be approved of God? The Old Testament prophets certainly all understood this because the Old Testament prophets had to say things people didn't want to hear. And if you want to be approved of men, you want to give them a message that they want to hear. Jeremiah, that's why he was hated. Jeremiah would go to the people and say, look, there's nothing you can do. You're going to lose this war. You're all going to be slaves, but you can gain your life. Surrender and live. You think that's a popular message? Man, I tell you not. There, were there false prophets saying the things people wanted to hear? Yes, there was. Jeremiah wasn't looking for the approval of men. What was he looking for? The approval of God. Jesus is saying here, look, you guys want the approval of man. You're speaking as though I need to be approved of, of, by man. And what, I, what, what Jesus is saying is I'm approved by the Father. I've been approved by the Father. The Father has sent me. The one who speaks on his own authority is seeking his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. Now, <clears throat> listen to what Jesus is saying about himself. One, he's seeking the glory of the Father, and so therefore he is truth. Now, he's going to say that clearer, isn't he? I am the way, the, and the, no man comes to the Father except yeah, that's in the Gospel of John, right? He's going he's gonna to say it again. But he's laying out for the people. Look, the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. That's Jesus. He's talking about himself. And in him there is no falsehood. He is righteous. He is righteous. He is true. And then he asks them an important question in verse 19. Has not Moses given you the law? But none of you keeps it. I'm sure right now they're thinking, what are you talking about? Why do you seek to kill me? Don't forget verse 13. Remember verse 13? Earlier we looked at verse 13. It said, nobody wanted to talk about Jesus openly. Why? Because they knew that the Jews were after him. You notice what the next verse says? Well, you must have a demon. Who's trying to kill you? Oh, well, you guys all know. You guys all know what's going on. You all know. And in fact, Jesus knows what's happening in their heart. Why do you seek to kill me? You're sitting around in groups discussing breaking the sixth commandment. You're sitting around and discussing this idea. What was their motive when they confront Jesus? The destruction of life. Then who is their father? Jesus is going to tell them, isn't he? You are of your father, the, he is a liar and a destroyer from the beginning, right? If you were of the father, you would not be looking for the destruction of life. John's going to write in his epistles, if you say you love God and hate your brother, you lie. Why? Because that's not how you've learned Christ. And Christ, he speaks for the Father. Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by? For who? 
for each other. Your love for one another. How well is everybody doing on that so far? We doing okay? <laughs> Don't make me start calling you out. They will know you are my disciples. They'll know you follow me. You follow Jesus by how you learn to love each other. By the way you express your love one for another. Here Jesus is pointing it out guys who want to destroy someone, right? They want to see them destroyed. And he says, you don't keep the law of Moses. Now I'm sure if you stood before them, they'd say, for sure we do. Jesus is going to expound. We see it in the other gospels. Jesus is going to expound on the law, right? You remember where he does it? You have heard it said, thou shalt not commit murder. But I say to you, if you have looked on your brother and hated him, what's next? You're guilty. This is not supposed to be how we look. We're not supposed to look like everybody else, doing what everybody else does. Our, our marriages should be different. Our relationships should be different. And it all requires you and I to come before the Lord, bow the knee in submission, and do what he says. He tells us how to restore. He tells us how to restore the, the root of bitterness in our heart and our anger and our frustration. He tells us how to fix it. What does he tell us to do? The gospel of Matthew, he says, if you have ought against your brother, go to your brother in a spirit of meekness, gentleness, and love and be restored to your brother. Are we doing that? We've been praying for a long time for revival. In fact, we just did 10 days, right? Uh, in, in conjunction with the return, <clears throat> praying for revival. And I think sometimes we think that happens out there. It's not going to happen out there. It can't happen out there until it happens in here. It's got to happen. It's got to happen in here. We've got to say, stop looking at one another with anger and frustration and, and bitterness, and we got to start saying, I want restoration. I want revival more than I want justice. Micah chapter 6, the Lord says, here's what I want. I want you to do what? Do justice, do justly, love, mercy, and Walk humbly before your God. You know what the Lord wants. Do justice. He's talking about you, how you uh, are to other people. Be a just person. Be a righteous person. But what about how others are to you? Love mercy. Love mercy. 
How do I know that the Lord wants me to love mercy? Because he is merciful to me. You think I deserve grace at all from God? Do you know what kind of dirtbag I am? Ask Kat. She'll tell you. Look, I just want you to know that I have no right to claim to the Lord that I deserve his grace. I don't deserve, I deserve judgment. But he gave me grace. And Jesus said, Jesus said, how can a man who has been set free of his debt hold his brother up and require him to pay? If you were set free, who are you to withhold mercy? Who's the judge? I'm not saying we can't judge sin. That's sin. You need to repent, brother. You need to repent, sister. That's all I'm talking about. Who am I to condemn another? It is Christ who died and ever lives to make intercession for me. He's the judge, not me. Who's the judge of the living and the dead? Jesus Christ. So the Lord says, vengeance is, I will repay. Yeah, we want to lay that stuff down. Jesus points out, look, you guys got problems in your heart. Your heart is messed up. And we can keep getting out the, the whitewash, right? We can keep going out and getting the bucket of paint. And we can take that bucket of paint and we can slop it all over ourselves and we can look good. You're the only one who knows what kind of garbage is happening in your heart. And please, if there is a dead root of bitterness there, you got to deal with it or it will destroy all the fruitfulness that you can have and it will infect the body. If one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. I got to deal with my bitterness. I got to deal with my bitterness all the time. Trust me. Yes, I get bitter. I get frustrated. If you get bitter and frustrated, so do I. I'm a human being. I still, I still struggle with those things, but this is what I have learned to do. I fall before a holy God. And I say, Lord, you got to fix me. I've been doing it for two days. God, you got to fix me. You got to take the ugliness out of my heart. I cannot function with all that stuff in me. I will go back to the old me. Nobody wants the old me. Jesus Christ made me new. I don't want to walk in the old me. So I need to confess all that stuff and I need God to purge it. And I got to be honest and real. <clears throat> and then I got to forgive the one for whom I'm bitter. Because I don't have the right to hold a grudge against a brother. I don't care what he done. I don't have the right to hold a grudge. Because Jesus Christ has forgiven me. To whom much has been forgiven, they love much. And if you love the Lord, John writes in his epistles, if you love God, you will love your brother also. These guys are looking at Jesus and they want to kill him. And Jesus calls them out. You guys just want to kill me. And they say, oh, who wants to kill you, right? 
Because just a few verses ago, you guys wouldn't talk because you were afraid somebody might overhear you talking about Jesus. So you know. <coughs> you must have a demon. Nobody wants to kill you. You're crazy. So Jesus answers him in verse 21. <coughs> I did one work, and you all marveled at it. He offended their tradition. Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it's from Moses, but it's from the fathers. It was initially given to Abraham, but we know about it because Moses wrote it down. Right? First five books, the books of Moses. You circumcise a man on the Sabbath. So if a child is born, eight days from the time he's born, he gets circumcised. Doesn't matter what day it is. If it's the Sabbath, guess what? He gets circumcised. He gets circumcised no matter what. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man whole on the Sabbath? Now later on, Jesus is going to say, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. He's going to declare, I am your Sabbath rest. I am it. You have to be in me to even know what the Sabbath is. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says all these guys in the wilderness, they never entered into the rest. He says, don't be like them. Don't be like them so that bitterness will keep you from entering into your rest. Enter into that rest. Who is that rest? Hebrews tells us that rest is Christ. He's my Sabbath. And I want to be in him. And I don't want to be in him just one day. I want to be him every day. Every single moment, every single day. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 24. Do not judge by appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. You notice that every time you see Lady Justice, she has a blindfold, right? Scales and a blindfold. It's supposed to signify that we don't judge by appearance, but lately that's all we do, Right? We judge by appearance or we judge by popularity or we judge by all these different things. But God doesn't do that. The Lord knows your heart. If you're separated from God, you need to be restored to him. All man is born separated from God. Jesus Christ restores us in that relationship. We come to Jesus Christ. By grace you have been saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, as any man would boast. We come to him, his gracious gift, the gracious gift of Jesus Christ. We need to be clothed in him. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. How, are, how is it that we're chosen in Christ? How are we the elect? When we heard the gospel and we believed, we came in. We enter in by faith in Christ. We enter in by faith in Christ. Do not judge by appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man they seek to kill? Isn't that funny? Just a minute ago you said he had a demon. Does God know really what's going on? Sure. So do the people. Isn't this the man they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, but they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? Now we see not only the, 
disbelief and the debate about who he is, but now we see the division, right? Jesus said, do not think that I came to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. He said the division will happen within your very families because everyone is divided by Christ. You're either in Christ or you're outside of Christ, right? You're either in or out. You're either for me or you're against me. This is the dividing point. This is the issue that he's laying out. So they they're start to ask, the people, they're not saying anything to him. He's right here on the street corner <coughs> sharing. People are listening to him. It says that the poor heard him gladly. The people listening and responding, but in verse 27, but we know where this man comes from. Do you really? You ever been absolutely sure you know what's going on? You ever been absolutely sure you know what's going on and been wrong? We know what this guy's about. Are you sure? We know where Jesus is from. Are you sure? Yeah, he grew up in Nazareth. Do you know he's born in Bethlehem? Do you know Micah 5 2? Do you know what scripture declares about the Mashiach Nagid? Messiah the King? Do you know what the scripture says? Are you sure you know who he is? We know this guy. And we know that when Christ appears, no one's going to know where he's from. They said this because in the Old Testament it said that suddenly he would enter into the temple, he would appear suddenly. And so they said, well, because it says he's going to appear suddenly, we'll never know where he comes from. It's like he'll just be there one day. That's still going to happen. Jesus is going to appear in the temple. He's going to do what to it? He's going to cleanse it, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. Suddenly he would come. So they say we, they were sure they knew that they wouldn't know who the Christ was. (laughs) So... No one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the, in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from. But I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true. And him you do not know. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. <clears throat> He's going to continue to declare the fact that the father sent the son. That he, the son, has come to do the work of the father. He's going to declare this because there's perfect unity in the triunity of the Godhead. There's not the Son trying to accomplish something that the Father's trying to work against. That's not happening. The Father, the Son, the Spirit are all totally and completely united in purpose, united in plan. They are united in Jesus saying, I'm here to do my Father's will. Everything that my Father has given me to do He's going to say, I and my Father are one. Total unity. They're not divided. In fact, Paul later on is going to teach, is the body of Christ divided? Certainly not. Certainly not. The body is unified. He who sent me is true. So verse 30, they were seeking to arrest him, but no one could lay a hand on him. Why? It's not his time. Why do we spend time ever being afraid? Nobody touches us unless God says it's okay. And if God says it's okay, then you'll be okay. You'll have the strength you need to endure whatever the thing is that you need to endure. 
We give our lives away, right? It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. For I have been, what's he saying in Galatians 2.20? I have been crucified with Christ. I don't, it's not about me no more, right? I have died. And then the people begin to say, many of the people believe. And they said, when the Christ appears, will he do more than this man? So we see the division, right? We see the disbelief. We see the debate. Next time we'll see a little bit more of the discourse. Remember this. Please remember this. The most important thing. The most important thing you're going to do is decide who is Jesus. Some didn't believe. Some debated. Some were divided. Jesus is going to look at, at Peter and say, who do men say that I am? Right? Right? Some say this, some say that. What was the important question? Peter, who do you say I am? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. This morning we have a great opportunity to uh, bring a brother forward in baptism. We're going to do it right now at the close of the service. I'm going to have Grant come up. Victor's going to come up. He's going to help. And... uh, We're going to do exactly what we're discussing in the scripture. For I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives. What's the purpose of baptism? I go under the water and what happens? I'm dead. And then I come up how? A new creation created in Christ Jesus. And the scripture tells us that a a baptism is a public event. So a lot of times I'd wait till the end and everybody runs off. So I got you held captive. You're not late. It ain't time for lunch. Jackie gets over on time now. Have you noticed? It's like a miracle. So Grant's going to come on up and and, uh, Victor come on up and you can help me. Victor's his mentor and spent a lot of time discipling with Grant. and, And so I asked him to come up and help. So Grant. You believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you've asked him to be your Lord and Savior. Is there anything you want to share with everyone? Uh, I played church for a long time. And it took me getting hit in the head by Jesus with the 4 by 4 to realize that I was not walking with him. And I got... I got a testimony. If anybody wants to hear it, they can look me up, and I'd be happy to share it with them. Um, Victor brought it up a few weeks ago that because I've been baptized before, but I hadn't been baptized since I truly accepted Christ. And he brought it up, and I need and something I need to say. Praise God, Victor. Will you pray for for Grant before we go in the water? Shua Mashiach.